We've been working our way through the book of Jonah, and we've come to the fourth chapter. Jonah chapter 4, it's found on page 921. Nine twenty-one. Hear the word of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east, to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, Yes, I do well to be angry, enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Years ago, they found a, a diamond in a mine in Af- Africa that supposedly was so spectacular that they were going to present it to the king of, of England. Because the diamond was uncut, the king sent the, this diamond to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to a, 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 a person who was an expert gem cutter. And uh, apparently this man looked at it and looked at it and eventually he made a notch in the top and then he took his instrument and hit it with a hammer and he broke the diamond in two. Did he do this out of recklessness or out of carelessness? Actually, he had studied and planned for that strike with his mallet for weeks. Drawings and models had been made of the gem, its quality, its defects, its lines of separation. They had all been studied with the most minutest care. When he struck that gem, it was the climax of all his skill. He struck that gem because it was the one thing that he could do to bring out the full beauty of that gem so that he could shape it into its most perfect shape so that its radiance and and splendor would, would come out. That blow which seemed to ruin this incredible stone, I think you could say was its perfect redemption. 
From those two halves were fashioned two magnificent gems, which the skilled eye of the craftsman saw hidden in the rough, even when it was in its uncut form that came from the, the mine. Doesn't God do the same thing with us, His people? You sometimes allow, I think you could say, a stinging blow to fall upon our lives. It's never comfortable when God does that. When God strikes us with that holy hammer. Not because He hates us. Not because He's punishing us, but because He loves us. And you know that's the only way to bring out our, our, our full beauty. Our radiance, our splendor and who we are in Christ even though it's hard to go through times like that. If only the book of Jonah had ended at the uh, end of chapter 3. Even though Jonah was a little reluctant, he went to Nineveh and, and the city responded. They, they repented before the Lord and God said that he was going to save them. If only it had, end, it had ended there, but we have chapter 4 to deal with. And in chapter 4, we read about how Jonah became angry with God because he had spared Nineveh. While Jonah had obeyed God and he went, I mean, he did what the Lord asked, yet he didn't do it willingly. We looked at that last week. I'm sure he just wanted to condemn them and leave it at that, but God was at work in the Ninevite people, and so they responded. And God forgave them. And that upset Jonah. Because Jonah didn't want these people to repent. Jonah wanted these people to die. Because he didn't like them. He didn't care for them. Hard to believe though, isn't it? After all Jonah had been through, of all the lessons that that God had given him already, some pretty spectacular ones, especially all the mercy and grace that God had shown. Because remember, all those things, even the storm, the whale, that was God's grace trying to get Jonah's attention so that he might again begin to look up, so that he might walk in obedience before the Lord. Clearly, Jonah has a heart condition. And while we thought that He had turned a corner and was now ready to really serve the Lord passionately and allow God's love to flow through him. Yet, chapter 4 tells us that he's not quite ready yet. And so what was the condition of his heart? First, Jonah had a selfish heart. In chapter 4, we find God asking Jonah three questions, basically. The first two questions, it relates to Jonah's heart. And I think the last question... It shows us God's heart, as we're going to see in a minute. God's first question is found in verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? Or have you any right to be angry with me? God was saying to Jonah. And the implied answer was no. Despite everything that happened to Jonah, even that whole experience in the belly of the whale, Jonah's selfishness, has clearly reemerged. And when you're too focused on your needs, on your feelings, on your wants, 
it's hard to see others around you. What is Jonah concerned about in chapter 4? What, what is his main concern? Not getting a suntan. Verse 5, we're told that he was making a shelter east of the city. After he finished it, he just sits there. Now if God had told you that he was going to do something, that he was going to spare the Ninevites, why would you go on, on a hill near Nineveh and just wait there? And notice what, what hill he was on. He was east of the city. What direction does God come in the Bible, usually from the east? And, and so clearly Jonah is just hoping that God will come to his senses. Jonah almost thinks he's God's theological advisor. And, and, and God's going to come to his senses. I mean, Jonah could tell these were wicked people that deserve to die. God just needed a little bit more time because, you know, he was gracious and merciful and, and loving. But soon, God was going to see just how terrible those Ninevite people were. At least that's what Jonah was thinking. Do you see how self-centered Jonah is? He's not concerned about the 120,000 people in Nineveh. He's not concerned about all the innocent children. He's not concerned about their salvation. He's not concerned about their, where they're going to spend their eternity. His focus is really on himself and what he feels and what he desires. I mean, if he really cared about the people, the whole, the whole town just turned to the Lord. You'd think he'd be there discipling them, sharing God's word with them, sharing God's love. Showing them how they, can, they might continue to walk in God's blessing. But no, he doesn't do any of that. Because he's not concerned about them. He's sitting on that hill, waiting for them to die. He's concerned about his own comfort. That the sun might not get too hot. And so God sees his selfishness. And verse 6 says, God sent a vine to grow up over Jonah to give him shade, to ease his discomfort. Now for a vine to grow that quick, clearly it was a God thing. Especially to give him that kind of coverage that would have been above him in, on, in that shelter. I'm sure there was some shelter to begin with, but it was apparently inadequate. But once that vine began to grow and cover that shelter, Jonah was very happy. I think a better translation of the Hebrew here would be he was absolutely delighted about that vine. Now notice, this is the first time we've heard that Jonah is happy, that he's happy about anything. You would have thought he'd be happy about the sailors who, who turned to the Lord. You would have thought he'd be happy about how God had saved him from the whale. You would have thought he'd be happy about the 120,000 in Nineveh that turned to the Lord and repented. But none of that makes him happy. He's happy about that vine that grew over his head because he was getting so hot. Which leads to God's second question. Verse 9. Do you, well, do, you do well to be angry for the plant? 
You do well to be angry for this plant. Verse 7 says, The following morning God sent a worm to chew on the vine so that it withered and died. If losing his shade wasn't bad enough, suddenly this wind came from over the desert and blew right at him. This would have been a hot wind. It would have probably been 120 degrees in the shade. And because the the worm had withered his uh, leaves that were overhead, I'm sure he was hot and miserable. Why was he so angry at God? Verse 2, he says, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamities. First, God is, I mean, Jonah is angry that God relented from killing them. But then in verse 9, he's angry again because he lost his comfort, his shade. And he says, verse 9, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Doesn't he sound like a little kid? You know, I'm going to hold my breath until you give me what I want. Just hold your breath until I turn blue. Doesn't that sound like Jonah? I mean, God told him that he was going to save the Ninevites. And there he is sitting on the east side of the city waiting for God to do it. God's grace. It's wonderful when God shows it to us. His mercy, his love. But it's another thing when God shows it to some people we know who are just not worthy of it. Wasn't that the point of, of, of Jesus' parable in Matthew 20 about the parable of the workers? That's why some people were objecting to his story. The landowner, landowner of the vineyard had hired some men to do work in his vineyard for a certain sum of money. At the sixth hour and the ninth hour, in the morning hours, he hired some, some more men. At the eleventh hour, with the day half over, he hired even more men. But at the end of the day, he paid them all the same. The ones who started first thing in the morning and those who had started much, much later. While the workers who had worked the longest, they're, they're upset. This isn't fair. How come they're getting the same amount of money that we're getting? We've been working all day, and the landowner said to him, but isn't that the agreement we made? Well, yeah, but that was before we knew that you were going to pay the same amount to those who only worked a couple hours. It's not fair. That's the point of God's parable. Grace, mercy, it's not fair. We don't deserve it. Even though the thief on the cross had only served the Lord for a couple minutes, we're going to see him in heaven. That's grace. Even though he had very little to offer the Lord, he hadn't lived his life for God. But that's the mercy and grace of God. Jonah didn't think it was fair that the Ninevites would receive the same mercy that he had received. And so to help Jonah see his lack of mercy, God becomes the very thing that Jonah wanted God to be, that destroying an angry God 
in Jonah's mind. And so God sent that little worm to destroy that vine. He became exactly what Jonah wanted. And as soon as God did this, Jonah wasn't too happy about it. And so God says to him, Jonah, stop and look at yourself. Why are you so angry and upset? Upset enough that you want to die. Your attachment to that vine couldn't have been very deep. It was here and gone in less than 24 hours. Plus, you're not the one who made that vine grow. You're not the, you're not the one that provided for it during those 24 hours. What right do you have to be angry that I gave you that vine and took it away? And he says, "And do you see my point? Don't I have a right to be concerned about the Ninevite people? There's 120,000 souls there that don't know their right hand from their left hand. They, they don't know about me. You, you had the privilege of growing up in a Jewish home. You've been taught about me, but they know nothing about me. They're my people. I created them. Don't I have a right to show them mercy and grace? I think sometimes that same attitude that we see in Jonah, that can exist in in us as well. We say, "I, I don't want to give or... Or I don't want to help unless it's my way. Or the council doesn't do what I think is best. I'm just going to, if they don't do what I think is best, I'm just going to sit here and, and complain and do nothing. And I think over the years, that's how some churches have had their doors closed because God's people had that kind of an attitude. Rather than be focused on God, on His mission, We become too focused on ourselves and our comfort and our desires and our likes and dislikes. And so we come to that last question that we find God asking Jonah. And it really tells us something about the heart of God. Jonah, if you can show so much concern over a dead plant, how much more do I have a right to show this mercy Show my mercy to these these people in this city. Jonah, he didn't have a leg to stand on and he knew it. God was a loving and gracious and merciful God. And while Jonah loved that, when it dealt when it was aimed at him, yet he sure didn't care for it when it was aimed at others. Jonah's devastated over that withered plant. And I'm sure he wondered why in the world God even bothered. See, but Jonah was missing that the heart of God is evangelism, is missions. The reason God had blessed his people was for them to be a a light and a witness to the nations around them. Listen to how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. See, we serve a, a God who loves, who wants his people to know his salvation. We need to be like Jesus. We need to embody the heart of Christ. And just as he was willing to die on the cross to save us from our sins, the sins of the world, the Bible says, so we need to be willing to reach out to our neighbors and our friends and those that God puts in your, in your life and be willing to tell them the good news about Jesus. There's a man who played uh, the part of Jesus in the Passion Play. He played the part of Christ for several years, but the older he got, those who put on the play, they, they were concerned about him because he had to carry this big wooden cross. And so they told him, well, we're going to make you a new, new cross out of, out of fiberglass. And it'll look like a, a real cross, but it won't have the weight to it. Apparently the man refused, saying, unless I can feel the weight of the cross, I cannot play the part. He needed to feel the weight of that cross in order to play that part. In the same way, we need to feel the weight of the cross. We need to have our hearts pressed down with the burden that our Heavenly Father has for those who are lost and without hope. Isn't that what Jesus had in mind when he said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, I think sometimes one of the problems we have is, because, is, is that we've become too accustomed to hearing the march of those who are headed to an eternity without Christ. We're, we're, we're used to that sound of that. And instead of that bothering us, instead of grieving over those around us who are facing, facing an eternity without Christ, we become numb to it because it's gone on for so long. Oh, I mean, we do our part from time to time. We have things that reach out, but is it our passion? Is it on our heart like it's on the, the heart of Christ? Or do we just do it when we have to? You know, the, you might have noticed how this book ends. It just kind of ends abruptly. It's not satisfying. We don't hear what Jonah's going to eventually do. But I think that's on purpose. Because in the end, it doesn't matter what Jonah did. What matters is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with the grace and the mercy and the love that's been shown to us? The salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to say, wow, this is, this is wonderful. I'll never forget this. That's good. That's only the start. For a gift so wonderful, how can you keep it to yourself and not want to share it with those around you? To share your testimony. To share Christ's love with those who are hurting. Sometimes we don't always have to say it in, in words. Sometimes we can show it through our actions. But the important thing is that we're living it. 
For some of you, that means going to Nineveh. Obeying his call on your, on, on your life. Others, God has placed a Ninevite in your life. Somebody he wants you to witness to. Are you going to be faithful to that call? Will you love them with the love of Christ? Maybe it's somebody that the Lord is asking you to forgive. Will you forgive them? In order to show them the love of Christ and and win them to Christ. When someone asks you why you're willing to, to do all this, to love a stranger, to love somebody who has has hurt you, that's when you can tell them, I do this because of Jesus. I love because he first loved me. And so let me ask you, what's keeping you this morning from allowing the river of God's love from flowing through you? What's getting in the way? Through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, Those things that are holding us back, may we lay them at the cross and may we be that aroma of Christ that we've been talking about. Wherever we go, may our lives point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Jonah and what he did well and, Lord, how he messed up. But still we can learn from it. And it causes us to look at ourselves. We're afraid, Lord, that we can see some of that same selfishness in our lives. Forgive us, Lord. And we just recommit ourselves to you this morning. And we just pray that you might use each one of us to be the aroma of Christ Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the lost around us. May we do whatever we can to show them Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.